Seinfeld, the English patient is over. We're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post show recap. And now here are the two guys who almost never tell you it's go time. I'm Rob Cicerino. Here's Keith Winokur. Keith, how are you? How's it going, Rob? Very good. Very excited to talk about the Mandelbaums and sack lunch and everything here in the English patient. How's your week been, Keith? Uh, my week has been um, just great. Whoa. I, I, I like to call this my busy season because it's the NSA tournament. So we got a lot of action going on. A lot of action. Yeah. My dad always emails me. He's like, yeah, it's busy season because he's a CPA and mm-hmm. it's a month before tax day. And I say, listen, it's my busy season too. <laughs> and I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's very proud and not at all disappointed in me. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got uh, a lot to get into uh, this week as now we are inside the top 30 of the Seinfeld run, Keeve. The final 30, I should say. Yes, I believe, I guess today we're starting the final 30 episodes. We are starting the final 30 Uh, episodes. And also, this is the closest we've come in our run to our uh, lunar eclipse moment where we are talking about an episode that aired March 13th, 1997. And we are talking about it almost 20 years to the day on March 14th, 2017. Yeah, there's been so many think pieces about the 20th anniversary of The English Patient. Yes, the it Seinfeld It almost feels episode. like this is overkill. Oh, yes. both. The, the, the movie, movie and the Seinfeld and the, yeah, and the Seinfeld episode. So uh, a lot to talk about. So happy 20-year anniversary to uh, this episode of Seinfeld, episode number 151, uh, written by Steve Corin. Yes, who is who, the name of a character in a recent episode. Uh, this is his first episode, but he, uh, he shows up a bunch of times in season nine. Okay. All right, uh, Keeve, anything you want to touch on before we get into uh, English Patient? Uh, not really. I just uh, remind people maybe to, to we're recording this early just to be early with your uh, emails for the for, for the mailbag next week because we may be recording very early in the week. Yeah, uh, that I am going to be traveling to New York for uh, a live podcast taping for the Survivor podcast. So uh, I may be uh, early in the week uh, talking to uh, Akiva next week when we talk about the nap. Coming up in one week's time, but uh, put the nap on the back burner for now because it's time to talk English patient. Now, just to get this out of the way, Keith, have you ever seen the English patient? No, I've never seen it. I usually see all the Oscar movies, but it just felt and, you know, I, I'm only 14 years old or, or 13 years old when this comes out. It just seems so boring. Mm-hmm. What about you? Have you ever seen it? Nope, I never saw it. And, you know, that was a lot for me to not even see the movie after it was in the Seinfeld episode, because I feel like that more often than not, I probably would have been curious enough based on the fact that it was in Seinfeld. But Seinfeld, I think, does it no favors like Seinfeld. I think that we are probably more likely to share Elaine's worldview it's interesting thing that nobody else in the core four sees the movie. So there's no sort of confirmation bias in terms of like how we as the viewer are supposed to perceive the English patient. Yeah, no, I think you're supposed to be on Elaine's side here that it's really boring. I feel like she is the voice of the writers here saying like, why are people really into this movie? It's thick. Yeah. And it's interesting here to have this storyline with Elaine where she's the only person that hates this movie. Like, I feel like it's almost a very South Park storyline where you know everybody is talking about how something is great but kyle is the only one who is the voice of reason or cartman is the only person that's going to be the person to say this thing sucks that everybody else thinks is so great yeah that's a good point i i just you know i i but i think that was probably a prevailing opinion because the movie was boring it won nine oscars 
it was like the movie. But if someone said to you, like, uh, hey, like I'm watching The English Patient on Netflix tonight, you would you would have them like you would get their head checked. It's insane. Where in 2017 or in 1997? Yeah, if someone said that to you right now, okay. someone like texted you is like, I'm watching The English Patient. Right. You would never it, speak to that person again. There's no uh, rewatch value for The English Patient. Uh, this is something that, you know, Bill Simmons will often talk about, like how likely are you going to be to watch a movie if you walk into the room and it's on TNT? Uh, are you going to ever check this out? English Patient. Yeah, nobody's rewatching this. I mean, there's a lot of Oscar movies like that, right? Like this year, like La La Land, whether you liked it or not, no one's rewatching that in 10 years. The, the, the King's Speech, the movie about the speech impediment or... Mm-hmm. The black and white movie, The Artist, like those movies are never, you know, they have no value past like the day after the Oscars. The English Patient beat Fargo, which is like a billion times better movie than the English Patient. Yeah. So what is that, that the Academy just uh, cannot see that? Like, do we need some sort of like, uh, like sabermetric value to be able to show this movie has uh, no value outside of Oscar bait? Yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of old people voting. So, you know, maybe they don't look at the future because they won't be part of it. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we could uh, turn that to a lot of different things, but let's uh, get back to Seinfeld's English patient. Here we go. We start off with Elaine and Jerry on the subway and I don't know where they're going. It's not really explained, it, but they're just talking about movies in general, which is slightly tied into the episode. And they're talking about how that there's that little cartoon at the start of the video or the start of the trailers about uh, the concession stand items like dancing around and singing and the Raisinette buys a box of Raisinettes. Keith, have you ever seen anything like this? Yeah, I remember. This was like a pretty generic sort of pre-movie commercial from the 90s. So I do remember this. Yeah. Uh, Similarly, Keith, I started to watch Sausage Party on Netflix this weekend. Oh, and was there a box of Raisinettes eating another box of Raisinettes? No, but I turned it off within 10 minutes. I said, you know what? That this is not going to be for me. It's funny because I, I heard people say, like, oh, it's amazing. And then I heard a lot of people say, oh, you know, it stinks. And I, I kind of was split between the two and I never watched it for my own opinion. Right. Like, I thought that it was going to be, like, really sharp. And uh, I, I was bummed out. <laughs> Again, may, look, your mileage may vary on Sausage Party, but uh, no, I was disappointed and I couldn't get through with it. All right. So he says the Raisinets are eating the Raisinets. Uh, Elaine seems to know exactly what he's talking about like was there how did these things get made like was it the movie theater company making these because i feel like that there were probably more mom and pop type movie theaters Uh, i'm interested to know how everybody had this shared experience yeah i guess there were just fewer now it's like a lot of different things back then there were just like these are your commercials before the movie and it was like a commercial for coca-cola and maybe like a movie trivia game with scramble the names and you know and and this raisinets commercial and everyone got the same one whether you were at, you know, a Lowe's theater or some mom and pop chain. Yeah. And then Jerry is talking about how the concession stand items are musicians and who knows what they do. He really uh, like speaks with disdain about musicians. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like as we've discussed before, like the show shows a lot of hatred for like the modern worker. But I guess musicians sort of get thrown into that barrel. Yeah. I mean, Jerry did not seem to have this level of disdain when Elaine was dating the saxophone player uh, a few seasons back, but certainly he does towards the Raisinette band. Yeah, he's anti-Raisinettes. That's for sure. All right. And so are you, right? No, I like Raisinettes. You do, but you don't even like chocolate. I know, but I like Raisinettes. I mean, I I haven't had one in like 10 years. (laughs) 
But if you offered me a bag right now, I, 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 I like it. It's not very chocolate either, isn't it? Okay. So George is sitting at the bar in Monks. A lot of uh, action for the bar in Monks in this episode. And he's talking to this waitress. Uh, the script says her name is Danielle. She has a couple of scenes. Uh, she's, uh, I don't know if we're trying to build up a new sassy character that never took off, but she has interactions with both Elaine and George in this episode. And George says he's had everything on the menu surprise him. Yeah, to me, this sounds like a, uh, a recipe for disaster. Certainly a uh, literal and figurative recipe for disaster. And so here comes uh, this woman. And I'm sorry that, or that the woman's name is Danielle. I'm sorry. I got that. I, I'm correct. Fact checked. Fact checked that the woman George is talking to is named Danielle, not the waitress. And uh, she mistakes him for a guy named Neil. Now, the uh, notes about nothing on the DVD had a lot to say about Danielle. Yeah, what they said. So Chelsea Noble, uh, I guess she is best known for her role on Growing Pains. Uh, did you watch that show, Keith? Yes, but she, no, well, she's best known for her role marrying the guy from Growing Pains. Well, right. I think that she came on Growing Pains, and I believe that, and, and maybe I could be uh, wrong about this, but she ended up uh, going on to Growing Pains, and did she play the nanny on Growing Pains, and then she started dating Kirk Cameron? Like, Did they have an on-screen relationship on Growing Pains? And then, or am I getting her uh, confused with somebody else on Growing Pains? I haven't, I haven't watched my Growing Pains in a while. Now it'd be too painful uh, yes. without Mr. Thick. Yes. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember, but I, it sounds like she just missed maybe being, uh, you know, Mrs. DiCaprio instead of Mrs. Cameron. Yeah. Um, so she ended up, uh, yeah, marrying uh, Kirk Cameron. And now she's- Six kids. Six kids. Six kids with uh, Kirk Cameron. And she appears- in the movies based on the books that Kirk Cameron has written about the uh, reckoning, right? The apocalypse. Yeah, Kirk Cameron is super religious and uh, he doesn't, I don't think he does them anymore. At least she's not, she's got too many kids to act in them. But uh, yeah, she did act in some of his like biblical remake movies. Yes, yes. Okay, so, uh, so here she is. And I think uh, very attractive. Yeah, yeah, pretty likable here. Yes. And so uh, she thinks that George is somebody named Neil, um, her boy, her ex-boyfriend or her boyfriend. Are they exes at this point? No, right? No, they're not exes yet. Yeah. And so um, she mistakes him for Neil. He's not Neil. And uh, that he is very confused. Yeah. I mean, how could how could George date someone who looks like, you know, a George lookalike date someone who looks like that? Yeah. And then ultimately she leaves and the waitress brings him a halibut omelet. Now, is that even a thing? I mean, I don't even really know what halibut is other than fish, but I guess that's she's just hates George and he's probably a bad tipper. And this is her revenge. Give him the worst thing on the menu. Well, does he have to pay for it? Halibut omelet? Yeah, it's probably the most expensive thing on the menu, too. Yeah, I think halibut omelet. I did a search for it. The only results here, uh, like the first five results are all things about Seinfeld, like Seinfeld trivia. <laughs> and then uh, like the seventh thing down is a smoke halibut omelet review on Yelp. Yeah, how many stars does it have? <laughs> I I gotta look it up. It's for uh, there's a photo of it. it does not look very appetizing. Yeah, one star halibut omelet. Yeah, okay. So then uh, we see Jerry with Kramer in Jerry's apartment. Jerry is loading up to go back to Florida. 
Kramer gives him a number one dad T-shirt. Uh, we don't know exactly why. Well, he said that he found 12, t- you know, T-shirts for a dollar and he's saving Jerry money. here. <laughs> yeah. Now, why does Jerry say, oh, and it's in a medium? Perfect. Is Jerry implying that he's a large and that doesn't is yeah. not going to fit him? It's not clear, right? Or is he a small? Like, that's a weird... He should have said, oh, it's a small. Perfect. That joke makes no sense. Like, if you had to guess Jerry's shirt size, I think we would both say medium, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. The, the joke make no, makes no sense. Yeah. I think that we just needed to get the exposition out there that the shirt was going to be very tiny when uh, Morty is wearing it later on in the episode. All right. I guess. So Kramer needs Jerry to do him a favor. He says, uh, can my cigar guy drop off some Cubans uh, at your parents' house? Yeah, just Cuban. That's all he says. That's all he says. Okay. And so uh, that die is cast. Uh, We will see those Cubans later on in this episode. Uh, Kramer ends up leaving and George comes in and he tells the whole story about the beautiful woman that mistook him for her boyfriend, Neil. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people pointed this out, but George has been dating so many attractive women in recent months that this should not be anything more than like a blip on the radar. A great point. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to say like, well, maybe there's something about him that's slightly different. Jerry throws out maybe he has money. Great theory. Yeah, no, that is smart. That's generally we see a very attractive woman with a not especially attractive guy there are very few options, and I think choice one is money. Yeah. And so George says maybe there's some small thing he's doing differently, like a mustache, or if you're wearing a top hat, or a monocle, or a cane. And I love Jerry's, uh, who is she dating? Mr. Peanut? Yeah, which comes up again later. Yeah. You could do a lot worse than Mr. Peanut, my friend. Uh, so Elaine, we see her for the first time, or the first time since the cold open. She is going on a date with a guy named Blaine. And so they're, I guess, trying to figure out what movie. It's weird that they're in line for the movies trying to talk about what they're going to see. And Elaine is pointing to Sack Lunch. She wants to go see Sack Lunch while Blaine wants to see the English patient. Keeve, this seems to be very outside of the canon of what we've established already on Seinfeld about Elaine's movie taste. In what way? We had a whole episode earlier this season about Gene picks and Vince picks. And Elaine's preferred movies are tearjerkers that Vince picks out and that she sits there and she watches by herself crying. There's a whole rack of movies like Sack Lunch, the Gene picks. Elaine hates Gene picks. Kramer likes Gene picks. Elaine is watching the weekend of Bernie's too. And she turns it off because it's so stupid. Why does she want to go see sack lunch all of a sudden and hates the English patient? Yeah, this is a really good point you're making that no one's ever caught before. I mean, you could say her movie tastes have changed, but that was like four weeks ago. So I don't think so. Unless the whole thing with Vincent has scarred her so much that now Mm. she's off the, you know, tearjerker Oscar bait film and now has gone completely to the gene rack. That's why she wants yeah. to sack lunch. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's a good theory. That she's like, you know, sometimes you have bad experience with something, right? Like you drink something and it makes you sick. Like, oh, I'm never drinking that again. I think that's what she's done with the prestige movies. 
Yeah. And she's looking at the poster. She's like fascinated by the poster of sack lunch. Ooh, how did they all get in that sack? Do you think that they got shrunk? This is like the uh, bangery uh, dumb Elaine that is like fascinated by this movie sack lunch that she can't even understand the smart movie. Yeah, no, this is a good point. Um, yeah, I, it, I mean, listen, the English patient is bad. So I guess anything looks good in comparison. So maybe that's why she likes that one. I guess so. It seems fine that she would think the English patient is boring, but just the fact that Elaine would be interested in seeing sack lunch is just does not jive with what we saw in the whole video store episode uh, a couple of weeks back. Fair enough. Okay. All right. So uh, the sack lunch ends up being sold out, and so they have to go see the English patient. Luckily, I guess they were both starting at similar times. All right. So now we go back to... Now, the diner regular, Danielle, she's in there all the time, um, that Neil is not there. She's just uh, by herself. Was she waiting? She says that Neil got held up at work. Was she meeting Neil here? Does she eat here by herself, Keith? I think she was supposed to meet Neil here. She must have waited. He didn't show up, so she just ate by herself. So her and Neil are also regulars here? Uh, Apparently. I mean, paths have never crossed before? I mean, who knows how long her and Neil have dated for? Okay. All right. So George would really like to uh, meet this Neil. Uh, but she says, you know, you guys don't actually look that much alike. You're actually a little taller. And she wants to know, you're, uh, do you work out? You're in better shape than Neil. Yeah, shots fired at Neil. Yeah. Uh, but George wants uh, Neil's phone number. So uh, the relationship is off to the races. So Elaine and Blaine come out of the movie theater. And Elaine's talking about how, boy, that English patient really stunk. I mean, listen, I, the English patient stinks, and I'm, I'm Team Elaine. Okay. So now, here come these women who are Elaine's friends that all have babies. Somehow, uh, this must be like some sort of like mom's night out, because they've all gotten away to go see the English patient in one night. Yeah, you should tell your wife that they should do like her mom group. They should go see the English patient. Yeah. My wife was saying that her mom's group, the next mom's night out that she's doing, they're going to escape the room, Keeve. Oh. Yeah, which my wife you're, is going you're to an, hate. You're an escape the room guy. Does she like puzzles, your wife? No. Yeah, I hate puzzles, too. <laughs> Does she have patience? No. No, I already know that answer. Yeah, I, I feel like escape the room is, it's like a lover or a hater, or a hated thing with the escape the room, and I'm, I'm, I'm anti. Yeah, she hates games. She hates anything like this. She hates mysteries. Can you cheat at escape the room? Uh, you could try. I think it's very frowned upon. Oh, so maybe she'll try that at least. Yeah. So... All right, here are these women that are Elaine's uh, quote-unquote friends. They all love the movie. Um, the main woman, Carol, uh, says that Ralph Fiennes, or is it, is it, am I saying that right? Fiennes? Well, that's, I think that's what she says, but it's Rafe Fine, right? Rafe Fiennes. Uh, I would give up my firstborn for him, the baby that we saw back in the Hamptons and also uh, in earlier episodes. Yeah, li- I mean, literally, Elaine would give him up for nothing, so that's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so they all love the English patient. Elaine does not. All right. So we see Jerry down in uh, Del Boca Vista with Morty. Now, uh, it has come to our attention that Del Boca Vista is now where the Seinfelds are set up now. They were not in Del Boca Vista prior to this. Yeah. What, what, what was the name of the previous place? They I were don't in? I have no idea. And what was he that what was Morty the um, on the board of if it wasn't Del Boca Vista? Uh, we'd have to go back and take a look at that. Yeah, I don't, I'm not good with my Boca Raton uh, real estate. <laughs> okay. And now, so why is Jerry down in Florida? Why did he say he had to go there? He's just helping his parents move in? 
Yeah, he's helping his parents move into their new place since okay. they got knocked out of their old. So there is a gym here at Del Boca Vista, and we get to see Lloyd Bridges is going to uh, end up uh, making an appearance. And uh, his name is Izzy. Izzy Mandelbaum. Keeve, are you a big Lloyd Bridges guy? I mean, I'm a bit. I mean, from this episode, I definitely am. You know, this is definitely his best work. Is he Jeff Bridges' dad? Yes. All right. So I like his son. Should they have gotten Jeff Bridges to play one of the Mandelbaums? I'm sure they tried, but he may have been too big already at that point. Possibly. What is his most well-known ro- role other than Honey, I Blew Up the Kid? Um, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Lloyd Bridges is in that. Listen, yeah, you gotta you gotta pay the bill somehow. Are you sure about that? Honey, I, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid uh, has uh, which Bridges? Jeff Bridges? Lloyd. No, Lloyd. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that I, you know, I, that I recently, that's on Netflix. I think I, I recently did watch it. Uh, I was going to say Hot Shots. You recently watched Honey, I Blew Up the Kid? Yeah, and Honey, I Shot the Kid. I hope you were with, like, a child yeah, when you watched that. Okay. Uh, it's, it's on Netflix, and my son wanted to see it. He said, uh, "Okay, and no, as long uh, as you watched it with someone, that's that's okay." I guess. Yes, except he as it hold up when my kids like no, it. No, it's terrible. It's so terrible. Okay, yes, it's, some it, old movies the kids don't like. It, it's no, it's beyond terrible. There, there are YouTube videos that have like a hundred times better effects than uh, both of these movies. Okay, we'll pass on those. Yes. So Lloyd Bridges, uh, yeah, Hot Shots, uh, Part One and Part Two. Were those uh, favorites of yours? No, I know about them, but that's it. You never watched them? No, I remember the commercials for Hot Shot Part Two, but I, I never saw it. Yeah, um, and he's also in Air, the original Airplane, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's like one of his uh, his big roles. Uh, does he ever do anything that's not? Uh, he had to have done stuff that wasn't comedy, right? Yeah, I mean, he was in a zillion things. The IMDb page is like a million pages long. Yeah. Uh, IMDb says he's best known for Sea Hunt, uh, which I guess must be a TV show. Uh, Gary Cooper's High Noon. Uh, looks like Seinfeld was one of the last things that he did. Uh, well, he passes pretty soon after. Yeah, in, uh, sometime after in, um, let's see. Uh, I don't know when he goes to the alternate side. But uh, yeah, it must not have been too many years after. One of his last uh, major roles. But uh, yeah, he, it seemed like he was just like in a million different things. Yeah. Fun fact, he got, um, he was nominated for playing Izzy Mandelbaum, not in, in his other appearance for The Blood, not for this one. In 1998, his other Emmy nomination was in 1957. So he had two nominations 41 years apart. Yeah. And then he would die uh, less than one year from the airing of this episode, March 10th, 1998. Uh, R.I.P. Lloyd. Okay. All right, so then also in this scene, just to set this up, that uh, we see that Morty has the number one dad T-shirt that I guess Helen was rummaging through Jerry's bag, and he saw the shirt, and uh, he was so impressed. It's the nicest thing that Jerry ever did for him. Uh, Jerry is rightfully upset, saying, uh, I bought you a Cadillac twice. Um, totally, yeah, it's a good callback, but uh, Mr. Seinfeld totally does not care about this Cadillac. Yeah. Stop bringing it up. Okay. So here's Izzy Mandelbaum. Uh, he is uh, definitely the BMOC at Del Boca Vista. Everybody is talking about him, how he can uh, lift weights with anybody. He used to work out with Teddy Atlas in the 50s. He, uh, are you a Teddy Atlas guy? It's Charles Atlas. Well, whatever. Teddy Atlas is the boxing analyst. Yes. It's not the same guy? So I, no, te- no. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's Teddy no Short relation? I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, everyone is, is you know, related from, like, the beginning of man. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's a hot take. Charles Atlas is um is like a bodybuilder. Teddy Atlas is a boxing dude. Okay. I don't think they're related. Okay. Uh, you have to lift weights to be a boxer, though. Now. So they may have crossed paths. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> they're not married, are they? Charles and Teddy. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, they probably Charles, would have. His real name is Angelo, Angelo Siciliano. Yeah. So I don't think. I don't think uh, unless Teddy Atlas was old, you know, Charles Atlas is a stage name. Okay. All right. So Izzy is a strong guy. He can uh, lift all these weights and uh, that Jerry is saying that he could also lift the weights that Izzy Mandelbaum is lifting. He just chooses not to. And then here's this guy, Sid, real troublemaker, says, hey, Izzy, this kid says he can lift more than you can. Um, yeah, I want to ask you with with uh, the Mandelbaum scenes because I really like them. They're definitely funny, but they're so cartoonish in that the same thing happens like four different times. Uh, and we've been talking a, a lot recently about like how realistic the episodes are, but this isn't like a science fiction episode. It's just like a slapstick comedy. So I wonder how this works for you. Yeah, it, it's okay. You know, I think that they're definitely having fun with it being Lloyd Bridges, even. In the post credits, you know, that you like they have like the Mandelbaum, uh, like all yelling out their names. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that like sort of like by the fact that like the third time it happens and everybody's just sort of like going through the motions. I kind of feel like that, uh -huh. that's not great. Like where like Jerry knows what's going to happen in the scene before like what's happening is like it's go time. Like. I feel like that the fact that that's happening in the episode is not uh, a great thing. Right. I th that's a little bit Zach Morrissey, right? That is like time in and then like he knows exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it was funny that, you know, that we end up with, uh, we'll, get, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, okay. you're, you're right. I think you're probably higher on Mandelbaum stuff than I am. Okay. So, uh, Mandelbaum, he picks up the uh, the weights. Jerry goes over there. Jerry does come off as very strong in this episode. Yeah, very strong. He's ripped. <laughs> yeah, it's, he's uh, not. Maybe he's not a medium. He's so he's he's so jacked that he's a large because like his chest is popping small. out in the medium yeah. parts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, low key thick. Anyway, so Izzy uh, ends up saying to Morty, "Hey, your kid is pretty funny. Maybe he should be a comedian." Uh, and Jerry says, uh, "Well, actually, I am a comedian." Yeah, which no one ever believes him when he tells him that during the show. Yeah. All right. So Jerry ends up picking up the weight just like uh, Izzy can do. And he says, all right, uh, well, now you're not bringing that trash into my house. Uh, so step aside, string bean, he tells him. We're going to take it up a notch. And he goes to pick up a much heavier bar and throws out his bag. I mean, he's 90. It's going to happen. Yes. Um, and so that... You know, there is a runner also. Call an ambulance. Oh, there's a, you know, we don't need to call one. There's one over there. They can fit one more in the ambulance. Yeah, which is pretty funny. I'm sure that's true for that Boca Raton area. <laughs> okay. All right. So Elaine is uh, back at the movie theater. She loves sack lunch so much, Keeve. She's going there another day to go watch sack lunch. Yeah, we never really get her review of sack lunch. Yeah. I mean, I mean obviously she likes it because at the end she's excited to rewatch it. Yes. Which brings up a lot of questions. Like, how could a movie that's in theaters be on an airplane? Like, back then, it would take, like, two years for a movie to get on an airplane. Yeah. Does um, she end up but, going through with watching Sack Lunch? Well, that's my question. It, she, pay, she gives money for it. 
Um, I don't think she does. You think she never sees it? Something happens that gets cut out? That doesn't doesn't really add up. Well, right? we don't see her going to the movie theater. So I guess here is what happens. That here come the women that are her friends. They come out. They've seen the English patient again. They say it gets better the second time. Uh, they're all like raving about it. And now here comes Blaine, who's now gone to see it again. And uh, Elaine says to him, I thought you were busy tonight. And he says, well, to tell you the truth, that you don't like the English patient, I can't be with you. And she says it's a stupid movie. And everyone's like, see, that's what I'm talking about. So you don't think that the breakup ends up making her not seeing sack lunch? Like she doesn't go and try to chase him or anything or go home? I mean, he says, he says like, have fun of the movie. And she says, I will. Yeah. You know, so I, there's a little bit of a hole here that we're, we're poking, but I think we're correct. Like it's, it's off one way or the other. I also like another, another sort of notch in like why the, the show is totally anti-English patient. It's like Carol is one of like the like you know tooliest characters on the show, mm-hmm. and she loves it. So if yeah. Carol likes something, it, it automatically sucks. Like just like the baby's actually ugly, even though she thinks it's good. right. And and what's Blaine doing? Did he meet up with these women, or he just happened to be in the movie theater on the same day? Oh no, they would like. Oh, you like the English patient? I like the English patient. Let's go again. Well, what's he I doing mean, uh, with this crew? His girlfriend's friends. I feel like most most women like would love if you went out with like a group of their friends. Right, but what's his that. angle here? He just enjoys their company. These women, I mean, he, that he just doesn't want to see the English patient alone, so he's got a, some English patient super fans to go with. That that's it. He has no. I mean, like, you think he's trying to motives? get with Carol? He, he heard she makes beautiful kids. Like, what, what's his deal? Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to ask because I I don't think he's trying to get with her. You wouldn't go. No, if you're trying to get with with one of your your girlfriend's friends, you don't go out in groups of three. Right. He would have gone out with just Carol to, to see the English Let me page. just, let me paint this a different way, okay? He, okay. The world's greatest movie has been made, okay? You mm. went to go see it. Yes. Uh, and you, let's, you went to go see it with your wife, the greatest movie. You loved it. She hated it. Uh, mm-hmm. Your wife's friends also love this movie. Would you make plans to go see this greatest movie ever again with your wife's friends? Um, here's the thing. If if we tweak the example a little bit and make it a concert, I would say yes. Because I'm not going to a movie theater Concert's twice. Concert's more social. Like, you don't go to a concert by yourself. You could go to the movies right. by yourself. Right. So Because I, I, my point is I would never go to a movie theater twice for the same movie. If you're The last movie I can remember, other than Star Wars movies, which people see a lot of times, Titanic, they, they would have commercials saying, see it again for the first, you know, like they were really pushing hard for people to go see Titanic two, three times, which is how it made so much money. Mm-hmm. And Avatar, I think, also. Yeah. The, um, the, but I would never go see a movie twice, but I would have no problem going out with my wife's friends to, like, a concert if she hated the band and I liked it. Yeah. Um, but you're saying that's a different beast, I guess. There's nothing I could do. Yeah, I think it's different. I think it's different. Um, all right. So let's go back to Jerry and his parents. And Helen is very disappointed in uh jerry after he knocked izzy mandelbaum out uh he's 80 you should know better you should be more mature um yeah it's weird that they haven't played 80 because i first of all i think he's probably a little older than that right uh at, bridges yeah at this yeah. point but also it's you know the ages are complicated we'll get into them between like the father the son and the grandson <laughs> yeah all right and so um Morty says, don't worry, tomorrow Jerry and I will visit Izzy and we will apologize. Uh, and uh, Helen wants Morty to take off that number one dad uh, shirt. He will not. 
Uh, this shirt will never leave his body. Listen, I do love the pride Morty has with the number one dad shirt. Yeah, that's fun. To do you see. have a Do you have a number one dad shirt or something uh, like that? No, I don't think I have any number one dad apparel. My my uh, second kid made me like a hand painted, you know, best dad or something shirt. Mm-hmm. But she was like three when she made it, so I can't. Are you worried can't about it. getting into fights with people? No, I can't wear it in public because it's like it's it's you know she she was like three. It's a disaster. The shirt. Yeah, but I'll wear it around the house sometimes. Okay, um, we never get any payoff to the, you know Morty is will never take the shirt off. Like, do you feel like that we needed that? Like, maybe like Morty's like circulation gets cut off or something like that. Are you happy? It's not with a bad this? idea, but we're pretty. This episode's pretty jam packed. I don't know if they had room for that. Yeah, I mean, there's no need that Morty is you know announcing he will never take that shirt off in this next scene. Like, he could have just worn it in the first scene. Right, that's true. That's yeah, it doesn't point. really uh, advance the plot anymore. Uh, it is a little funny to see him in the tight shirt, but it's not like uh, anything. It's not adding anything. Yeah, maybe maybe like the writers or the director thought it was really funny to see him in the shirt. Okay, so the Seinfelds go to bed at seven thirty. Knock at the door. Hey, uh, it's Kramer's guy. Uh, do you have the cigars? What cigars? Uh, no, I'm supposed to bring back Cubans. Here they are. We are the Cubans. Yeah, he never said what kind of Cubans. Where the where he found these guys, what the business deal is, like who's paying for that. You know, all these things are up in the air. We don't know. Yeah. Now, Keith, again, I don't know anything about cigars, especially Cuban cigars. Is mm. the allure of the Cuban cigar the technique by which it is rolled or the ingredients uh, that are in the cigar, which are only found in Cuba? Oh, you're asking the right guy because I've never smoked anything. And I have no idea. Okay. All right. If we have a cigar expert out there, maybe they yes. could uh, give us some information on that. All right. I feel like Chester's a cigar smoker. Yeah, I could see it. And so Jerry gets Kramer on the horn and says, uh, like, hey, what's going on here? Uh, these are Cubans, uh, like real human beings from Cuba. Uh, Kramer is like, why? Yeah. Why were you confused? Uh, Jerry, of course, that he thought they meant cigars, uh, which Kramer says those are illegal. Uh, and so now uh, we get to that Kramer is going to be making his own cigars. He's got investors all lined up. And Jerry very quickly susses out that Kramer is making tomato sauce in his kitchen with no shirt on. Yeah, I don't know how he has got like a sixth sense, but that's impressive. Maybe he knows Kramer always uh, takes his shirt off when he's cooking tomato sauce. Um, I, I guess that's his thing. Yeah, I take guess the shirt off, thing. make the tomato sauce. Yeah, I like it when Morty comes out and he's getting like a bottle of pills and uh, Morty wants to know, uh, hey, who are these guys? Uh, and Jerry says they're Cuban cigar rollers. And Morty just says, uh, don't tell your mother. Uh, yeah, no, that is a good line. I, I do like that. Morty's like, I'm not getting into it. Your mom is nuts. So let's <laughs> just not deal with it. Yeah. OK. Uh, so meanwhile, we see George and Danielle up at her building and uh, that George has Neil's phone number. And Danielle, very forward, she says to George, uh, you know, I don't have to be up in the morning. I know a great breakfast place right around the corner. And George only wants to talk about Neil. Yeah, I feel like we've seen this a few times now where George is like has a clear opportunity to come upstairs or to go inside and just totally like whiffs on it. Yeah, uh, it, it, it definitely does feel familiar. The other thing that this feels reminiscent of is that when George dated the woman who had the male roommate. Yeah. 
Uh, and I don't, and, and the episode titles get all jumbled in my head, but this does feel like, you know, we are in season eight that I think that we are in uh, familiar ground with a lot of these things. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. And uh, so Danielle is, uh, you know, trying to get George to come in. He says, well, I got to get home in case Neil calls. Now, does Neil have George's phone number? Um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Right? I guess maybe he called and left the message for Neil. That's my guess. Is that possible? I guess. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. And what does Danielle think that George wants to talk to Neil about? It's not clear, right? Just like, I guess they look alike. So maybe he thinks that's funny and they should become friends. I, I guess so. Danielle's motivations here are unclear. Right. Like, does George make it clear to Danielle, you are so attractive that uh, I need to know how Neil found you? Right. I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay. So, and then Danielle tries to give George a kiss and he like runs away. Yeah. He didn't even know she tried. All right. So now Elaine is by herself at the bar with this waitress at Monk's. Yeah. Very sad Elaine. This is back to like pathetic Elaine. Now, I feel like that maybe, is this all the same night as going to sack lunch? Did she end up getting dumped and then just headed to the coffee shop? You, so you think she skips out on sack lunch or she couldn't enjoy it because she had just gotten broken up with. And she ends up, and it's really late. I mean, look, she looks like she's the only person in the whole shop. Yes, which speaks to maybe she did see a movie. But Elaine says, you wouldn't believe it. My boyfriend dumped me. My friends who I don't even like, they won't talk to me. All because I don't like that stupid English patient movie. So she seems upset. Yeah, well, she's definitely upset. She just got broken up with and, you know, everyone is against her with the English patient take. Yeah. And so Elaine is uh, chastising the sex scenes in the English patient. Give me something I can use. Yeah, she's very, I mean, it's boring, but right. Also, it's they're too unrealistic for her. When she says, give me something I can use, is she talking yeah. about in her mental Rolodex? I think or? so. That's, yes. that, I mean, that's the way, if someone would say it in 2017, that would be what they mean. So I, I'd have to assume so. Okay. All right. No, uh, no, actually, if a guy said that, I'd say, I think it works both ways. I think it's mental Rolodex or something I could copy. I think it works both ways. All right. <laughs> so, you know, this is going to be what, like uh, 17 years until the Fifty Shades of Grey gets written. Well, I think the Internet comes about a year later and then she could think of anything she wants. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, Elaine's down on it. The waitress says she likes it. And then uh, now that the waitress is not serving Elaine anymore. No, she can't serve a, an anti-English patient person. And Elaine yells out, sex in a tub, that doesn't work. Yeah. Although at no point had I ever been more interested in seeing the English patient. <laughs> I, I feel like, again, I feel like you could find more interesting things. Right, really right, right, right. Okay. So then, I'm sure the grainy footage of the English patient will really be exciting. <laughs> the non-HD. <laughs> so uh, back at Del Boca Vista, Jerry and Morty go to visit Izzy Mandelbaum, and uh, we get some more exposition about how the Mandelbaums are the owners of the Magic Pan Crepe Restaurant. They have big crepe money. Yeah, I do like it, because until you see, you know, the, the actual crepe scene at the very end of the episode, this is just, like, completely irrelevant. Okay. All right. So, Jerry is apologizing to Mr. Mandelbaum, and then Izzy sees that Morty is wearing the uh, number one dad shirt. I guess... The number one dad shirt, um, you know, I was saying it never has a payoff, but I was forgetting that Izzy hasn't, even though Morty is wearing the shirt in the first scene, Izzy doesn't see it until this scene and doesn't react to it until he gets here. Yeah, it was too busy getting, you know, 
interaction in the last scene. Yeah, maybe he was too far away. He couldn't see it from the all the way over there. And so Morty says, this is a gift from my son. And Izzy says, oh, okay. Well, he knocks me out of commission so you can be the fancy number one dad. I'll show you who's number one. Yeah. Would you be offended if someone else claimed they were the best dad? I'm not the best dad. Do you think you're like the third best dad? No. No. Did I ever, did I ever tell you Chester's whole take that he's the best dad in the whole world? Well, he's not. He's well, he not. told his he told his wife that he's a better dad than she is a mom. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that, ludicrous. That, by the way, relationship advice: everyone should do that. You know, I would sign up for. Am I in the top ten percent of dads? Mm. I would hope so. I think I'm definitely in the top thirty. The okay. top thirty percent, and that's yeah, nothing no. to you know shake a stick at. Is it no, shake a stick? Would you shake a stick if it's good or shake a stick if it's bad? Well, don't shake a stick at your kid. Then you'll be in like the... Well, um, yeah. Well, what am I, Adrian Peterson? <laughs> yeah, he can't even get signed. You have a yeah, job. I mean, he'd be in the, the bottom 10%. Mm. Uh, and of running backs at this point. I think right. that... Um, yeah, I think you want to be top half off the bat. I think, I think top 10 is a realistic goal. Yeah, do you know what kind of pressure would come along with being one of the top five dads in the world? Yeah, you, if you, 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 know, you do one bad thing, you get knocked down to You're like 50,000. You're There's right. so many dads. There's like a billion dads. I, I but, mean, are we ranking the dads like tennis players? Do you think Chester has a dad's ranking of like all his friends? Um, I don't I know. That. that would be pretty funny. It, it's funny because like his rankings are so impractical, but I can't imagine him doing something practical like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that might actually have a use. <laughs> would it? That would be useful? The dad well, rankings? Well, com- compared to him ranking like he, the greatest Nigerian basketball players of all time, which he was doing when I spoke to him yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be, that would be uh, useful. Like maybe if he had some sort of like dad formula where he has his Chester quarterback rankings, if there was like some sort of like dad rankings of like number of hours per week spent with kids, uh, you know, times like, you know, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, some sort of a formula to figure out as a provider some sort of a you know formula to figure out like uh, what what your like uh, what your not level of knowledge you're passing along. I I don't know. Well, and what what do you think like the world's best dad? Like what does he do to be number one? Uh, the world's best dad is somebody that you have no idea who he is. Not a famous mm. person. He's just somebody that he all... just dads like in in like and he just does his dad work and like right. He's not. He doesn't talk a big game. He's all yes. He's uh, he that I feel like I feel like the world's best that he like builds like model trains with his son. Sure. He works. Takes him on like Boy Scouts trips, probably. Yes. And he's he's at work all day just thinking about getting back home to. No, he like quit his job to like take a lesser paying job so he could like send the son off to school. Maybe he works from home. Well, so he can, like, well then how's he going to go to college? You got to I mean, you got to. Well, like, he's such a good dad. He makes like a ton of money and like. Like yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So the the world's best dad is actually married to the world's worst mom. I think that has to come hand in hand because if you have a good mom, you barely need a decent dad. Right. Like if the, the mom is like an eight and a half, the dad could be a negative three and the kids are still going to be fine. Like there's some world's worst mom who's like the CEO of like some Fortune 500 company mm. who like, yeah, is yeah, like could not even be could not care less about the kids. Dad is with them, you know, uh, 24 hours a day. And mm-hmm. um, the, he's the world's best dad. I agree. Well, listen, we should strive to be 
I should pay more attention to being the world's best dad and and not like the world's forty fifth best like NCAA pool runner. Were any of the takes that we just had were they too controversial? I mean, you didn't hear my Marissa Meyer joke, but other than that, I think we're fine. Okay, <laughs> we'll go with that. All right, <laughs> so Jerry uh, and uh, Morty are continuing their conversation with uh, Mr. My- Mandelbaum, and so. Izzy is now all riled up and he goes to get out of bed. Jerry tells him, don't get out of the bed, but it's go time. And then uh, we hear him throw his back out again. Yeah, he got up too soon. Okay, so we're going to call an ambulance. And uh, Jerry says he saw one a few doors down. All right. Mm. So back at Jerry's house, he's back in New York and he's talking with George. And Jerry is incredulous about the whole thing with Danielle, how she wanted him to come up or go into her apartment. And he said no. And he was all fixated on Neil. And Jerry tells him, hey, you're the new Neil. You have Danielle. You've out-Neiled him. Yeah, George is so oblivious to this. But he's clearly like, how does he not know he's in the driver's seat here? He's excited. There's a new Neil in town. And so then uh, Jerry's parents call up. And uh, again, Morty is uh, very excited. He's calling himself number one. And so... uh, we end up finding out that Izzy is going to go see a back specialist. It's not really clear why. I mean, I know New York has good doctors, but it's weird that he's just flying. Like, how does he get from Florida, New York with hey, a bad back? Steve, every time uh, David Wright uh, pulls an Izzy Mandelbaum and he goes to get out on a baseball field, says it's go time and throws his back out. He goes right back up to New York. That's true. That's a good point. But he's not 90. Like, it's hard. To, David Wright just sits on the plane in discomfort for an hour, you know, or two. Izzy Mandelbaum probably needs to be like medevac there. <laughs> well, he's got that crepe money. That's true. Yeah, he probably has his own plane with shaped like a crepe. Okay. So Kramer ends up saying, I picked up the Cubans at the bus station. Um, and he says they're not real Cubans. Now, hold on. Why is Kramer picking up the Dominicans at the bus station? I thought it was Jerry's job to run them back to New York. I guess he took them to a bus station and they took the Greyhound all the way up from Florida, New York. I mean, he, he, they can't, they're not flying three of them. I think they're off the books. So he took them, to, they, took, they took a bus from Florida? That's what, so that, that's all Jerry did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just helped them. He gave them a place to stay for a night and then took them to a bus in Florida. I don't know. It think. seems like the time is a lot quicker than it would take for them to get on a Greyhound bus from Florida to New York. I mean, the time in this episode, there's a few things that are problematic, but I agree. Okay. So they're not Cubans. They're Dominicans. Uh, yes. And the, so they're not skilled in the, in the great art of uh, rolling up the cigar. Yes. And so that Kramer says if he doesn't get Cubans as investor, the whole deal is off. And uh, Kramer says, no, Jerry, once you've had real Cubans, there's nothing else like it. Uh, and Jerry is confused if we're talking about people or cigars. And Kramer says, yes. Uh, the quality, the texture, the intoxicating aroma. These guys don't have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a running thread and you never really know who they're talking about. I think it's always both. Yes. Uh, Jerry adds that he thought they smelled nice. And Kramer says that Jerry has an unrefined palate. Yeah. And then they get into it. Is not does two things. Yeah. Okay. So back at Peterman's office, uh, Peterman ends up talking about how he loved the English patient. Uh, it was so, uh, and this other guy, uh, Dugan, talking about how great it was also, and they ask Elaine if she's seen it. She says that 
She has not seen it, so she would not be able to tell you if it was good or if it sucks. Uh, yeah, I don't know why she, uh, she should, you know, in hindsight, she just said, yeah, okay, it's great. She should know at this point, it gets her nowhere to say that the English patient is bad. Yeah, I think I haven't seen it is pretty good. I don't think that maybe she was assuming Peterman was going to say, let's drop everything, go see the English patient. Yeah, I guess that, that would have been a pretty, you know, a pretty wide assumption. In general, I think it's a bad idea to, uh, you know, like once you realize this is an unpopular opinion, keep it to yourself. Keep your outtake to yourself. Is that what you do? I mean, listen, the same way everyone avoids Elaine, I, they're like avoiding me. Yes. Okay. All right. So then we end up with everybody is going to go off to go see um, the English patient. All right. So Jerry is taking Izzy Mandelbaum to a back specialist. So how do we set this up? How, what, what contact does Jerry have with a back specialist? Did, did, he didn't like literally pick up Izzy Mandelbaum. Not, not like literally like he's picking up a TV over his head. But did, no, he also seems to be in charge of his medical care, which is insane since Izzy Mandelbaum doesn't know him and hates him. Yes. Okay. All right. So that somehow Jerry has uh, set this up. And so Izzy has a new shirt that says world's greatest dad. Now, is world's greatest dad better than number one dad? Yeah, because you could be the number one dad in like Nassau County. Mm. But he's the world's greatest dad. Yeah. You can't be world's greatest unless you're the best dad in the whole universe, maybe. Does greatest automatically mean better than number one? It's a good question, but I think it does. Like, is the greatest quarterback of all time automatically the number? Like, could you be number one statistically, but Joe Namath is the greatest? Well, how about this? You could be the greatest movie. Let's say the English patient could be the greatest movie, but the number one movie of all time is probably like Avatar, Titanic, right? Well, movies you can judge by critical acclaim yeah. or average So dad, score, too. It's like, how do, how do you judge office. dadness? How do you judge the dads? I don't know. Right. So uh, there's some, definitely some different criteria. Like the world's number one dad could be the man who has sired the most children. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Like Wilt Chamberlain could be mm. the number one dad. Who would know? Yeah. Yeah. And, is, and the greatest basketball player. Right. But not the world's greatest dad. But probably not the world's greatest dad, but it could be. Okay, so I guess number I mean, one he's dead, dad, so not we don't know number one, you know, uh, you could technically be like the number one dad in overdue child support payments. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, so I guess world's greatest, there's no greatest dad in terms of like a negative, right? No, probably not. Okay, so yes, I'll give it to Izzy Mandelbaum. And so... He says he's better than number one. And Jerry says, and I agree with him, I don't know how official any of these rankings are. Yeah, I, yeah Jerry's telling him to let it go. Like Jerry, Jerry didn't even want the shirt, if you remember. Yeah. All right, so here comes Izzy Mandelbaum Jr. Uh, do you like Izzy Mandelbaum Jr.? I mean, yeah, I think it's funny that he's sort of like really old and he's his son. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I'm in on this through Izzy Mandelbaum Jr. Um, we can talk about when we get to uh, Grandpa Mandelbaum uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. I'm in. I'm in through two Mandelbaums. Okay, fine. Okay. I mean, usually you know shows like to do a three beat joke, but I hear what you're saying. Yes. Um, we we, we could talk about it because I think that maybe they went the wrong direction. So then uh, Izzy Junior says, uh, "Who do you think you are picking uh, on an old man? Maybe uh, you should try to talk to somebody your own age." And Jerry says, "Oh, you got any kids?" Yeah, it's a good line, even yeah. though his kid could be like older than him. Yeah. And, and that's what I think they should have done. I think instead of the grandpa, I think that we should have had 
Izzy uh, Jr. or Izzy the Third come and have him still be older than Jerry. That would be funny, but a little more subtle. Yeah, uh, but but like that, they're all they all look like the same age, right? Anyway, so here comes uh, Izzy Jr. You think you're better than me, and he says, "Go ahead, pick out anything in the room here. I'll lift it up over my head." What an absurd thing to say. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they're absurd people, the Mandelbaum. Again, listen, listen to this. Do- I, like, how in any human interaction has this ever happened? Oh, you think you're better than me? Go ahead. Pick out anything in this room here. I'll lift it up over my head. I Listen, there are people who are like weightlifting or like really into like do even lift bro type people. <laughs> I feel like this is the type of thing they might say. I don't think this is unrealistic. Okay. You don't think this is unrealistic? No, not at all. I think there's lots of like not at all. Like this. Yeah, this is realistic. This this happens every day. <laughs> the pick people, it, out people have room? it's feats of strength. This is you know it happens. Okay. Pick something on the room. I bet I can I can lift it over my head. Over your head. Okay. So Izzy points to the television, and then uh, Jerry says, "Oh no, he knows automatically." Izzy Junior walks over, and uh, we end up hearing it's go time and then uh, the noise of a Mandelbaum back being thrown out. Call an ambulance. And Jerry says, uh, all right, we are already in a hospital. That's right. I mean, Jerry's spending a lot of time with this Mandelbaum family who apparently have no other relatives. Yes, nobody else knows them. All right. So we see Kramer uh, at the investor's office about the Cubans. And I do like that Kramer is trying to uh, pass these guys off as Cubans, even though they're Dominicans. And I like that his investor sees right through it. Like, I feel like in most Seinfeld episodes, we would get that we are going through this whole charade. And uh, I just like that this guy takes one look at them and says, like, no, this is definitely these are not Cubans. Yep. No, you you guys struck out here. But it's also so it's Earl Hafler, right? The guy we we, you know, from from the airport betting. Right. And I, I, I he, you know, he was really good. I'm surprised we don't get a little bit more of Earl Hafler. Like, he doesn't even say my investors are all Hafler. We just go straight into, yeah, hi, bye. You're, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that I would never have put two and two together, that that's the same guy from the airport episode. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty memorable. I'm surprised. Yeah. I think I just would have never could, like put the names together. I was like, okay, here's just a different guy in a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we get, they get kicked out of the office. And we also see that Kramer has like put them in like uh, these like Cuban fatigues. Um, and they are dressed like mini Castro guys. Yeah, they do look like Castro. Very similar to the Cuban guys we saw George with back in the Yankee day. You know, the, the, the in Cuba scenes. Like it's literally the same costumes from, from the, you know, the, uh, the, wherever the dressing room at Seinfeld is. Yeah. All right, so Danielle and George are in monks, and uh, Danielle says that Neil called, and uh, he was very upset about everything, but uh, George uh, is saying, okay, I guess we showed Neil who's Neil. Uh, Neil wants to get together and have coffee. George needs to one-up Neil. He tells uh, Danielle, move in with me. Yeah, I mean, listen, you got to one-up. You know, he's check-raising her, basically. Yes, uh, beats the hell out of coffee. I mean, it's like she's nice, but I don't know why George can land a hot chick any week. I don't know why he needs her to move in with him, but whatever. Uh, She is uh, very attractive. I I would say one one of the most attractive women that we've seen in the series. Listen, I won't judge another man's wife. I don't want Kirk Cameron coming after. Yes, that's true. Uh, Back at the movies, Elaine and Peterman are together and they're watching the English patient. 
Peterman uh, is getting uh, very teared up, and Elaine is uh, pretty poor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want like the timeline of the, of the movie is interesting, also because like you know it's an Oscar bait movie comes out in December. This episode airs in March. I guess the Oscars hadn't aired yet because they used to be later. But it, they sort of like risked that like it would be a thing. They don't, you know, it, they're going very timely here. Is it possible that um, usually we find that we can see like when the episode was filmed? Um, like, was the episode filmed like where they could have changed any movie for English Patient? Interesting question. I mean, they would have had to change a bunch of things in the movie, but mm-hmm. I don't usually know, it the hold about up. nothing that says when the episodes were filmed. I mean, would it hold up if it was like Jerry Maguire instead, which was one of the other movies that year? Yeah, but uh, did did uh, English Patient win the Oscar? Yeah, it won Best Picture. Yeah, so I don't know. I think that they probably. I, and then when were the Academy Awards? Was this like the Oscar uh, week episode of Seinfeld? I would. I'm going to guess this is a week before or something. Okay, so uh, maybe it was a uh, slow. I don't know what else was nominated. Jerry Maguire wasn't nominated for Best Picture, right? Yeah, of course it was. Jerry Maguire, uh, Fargo. Uh, Rush or uh, Shine, the movie with Jeffrey Rush as the uh, like the was he like a deaf English teacher, a deaf music teacher, or something weird like that? Uh, I forget what it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're we're but we're still like eleven days before the Oscars uh, when this airs. So that you know, I guess they knew it would be nominated, and they or it had already been nominated by the time they they wrote the script. Yeah. Wow. Who knew Jerry Maguire? Jerry Maguire was a good movie. Yeah. And yeah, of the five movies nominated, the two that probably hold up the best are going to be Jerry Maguire and Fargo, as you mentioned. No question. No, qu- I mean it was a weak year. Some of those movies are trash. Some of the other movies, yeah, secrets in life. <laughs> okay, so then also uh, not, not as bad as in 1995 when Babe was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, Babe! Don't get me started. Babe sucks. <laughs> okay, so, uh, th- and this is before they nominated ten movies for the Academy Awards. You're right. Now there's nine movies. You have like you have movies that are like literally B minuses that just get thrown in there. Yeah. Okay. So Jerry and George are in the diner. George is now drinking like Pepto Bismol. Um, it seems as though he's getting stressed out by having to stay one step ahead of Neil. Neil is just asking Danielle out for coffee. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, he doesn't seem like, oh my God, Danielle's moving in with me. What have I done? It seems like that he is internalizing. Oh, Neil is on my is on my heels. Yeah, I don't know. And again, he hasn't met Neil yet. We haven't seen Neil, so I think it's just the stress of not knowing what what he's competing against. Yeah, I like that Jerry is throwing out there. What if it's Neil Armstrong? Uh, George says I'm yes, going to go to Mars. Uh, Jerry said, "What if it's Neil Diamond?" Yeah, he'd write "Sweet Caroline" too. Yeah, no, I, I like that he just like shuts down the conversation at that point. He's just like, "Let's shut up." Just shut up, Jerry. It would be funny if it was Neil Armstrong at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, like, that's how it ends. It's like, I'm Neil Armstrong. If he just says, like, one step for a man, one giant step for mankind. <laughs> All right. So Jerry says that he needs to go to the hospital to go see uh, Izzy Mandelbaum. Kramer comes in, and he's like, his teeth are chattering, and he's trying to say something. You don't know what he's saying. But what he's trying to get across is that the, the Dominicans are here, and they are getting unruly. They're getting upset that there's no work. They're going to have a revolution. Yeah, very hot uh, anti-socialist take here. Yeah, well, I think that Seinfeld overall it has a very strong anti-socialist message. Yeah, I mean, they hate workers. They, like the, the, the Wire, you know, David Simon says is like about sort of like the de-evolution of like the modern worker. And Seinfeld is like every worker lies to you and hates you. Like just 
in this episode alone, like giving George the halibut omelet. It's like everyone is out to get us. Even like minimum wage employees hate us. Hmm. So what is the Seinfeld worldview? I mean, that there is a very strong anytime that communism is mentioned in Seinfeld, it's with a negative connotation, correct? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you won't you won't see a lot of shows from the 90s that are pro-communist. Let's right. There also seems to be a very anti-small business uh, rhetoric coming from Seinfeld. Totally. Totally. So what are they pro? Capitalism. Pro-capitalism, but what? Pro-big business? Pro-major like, corporations? We're pro-big business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're pro, like, let's get some money from Marlboro. You know, that like we're pro, we're pro-major corporations. Let's have a show on NBC. They wouldn't want some, you know, pilot going to CISO. They're going straight to the king. They're going straight to NBC. Right. I'm trying to think if there's anything that happens in the episodes that backs up that worldview. Mm, I got to think about it. Okay. Well, I'll get back to you next. All right. And yeah, I, think, I, think they're def- I mean, there's, yes, there's definitely no question that they're anti-small business and that they're anti-worker. Okay. So I think that this could be a fun uh, think piece that we could do at the end of this of the, you know, uh, the sociology of Seinfeld. Yeah. Listen, if you're like a, if you're like a kid, like Max the Millennial or someone, maybe you're still in college, maybe you write your like senior thesis on, uh, you know, Seinfeld's hatred of like the worker, like Seinfeld's place in like politics or something like that. It's interesting. All right. So we end up seeing now the Mandelbaums are back together that uh, Jerry is with Izzy and Izzy Jr. And uh, Jerry's saying, look, I'm telling you, I didn't know that TV was bolted to the table. And Izzy Jr. says that, no, it was a trick that you pulled on my dad. And uh, no, Jerry says it was just he couldn't handle the weight. And we get into another round of, no, you think you're better than me. Uh, You think you're better than him. And now here comes Izzy Sr., Keith. Yeah, Izzy Sr., same age as as Izzy himself, basically. Okay. Uh, Grandpa is here. Yeah, and it's a funny joke. I do think this is like a Borscht Belt joke where it's like, there's an old man, and then he has like, the son comes in and it's like, well, my father, my grandfather won't let me leave the house yet. It's like, how old's your grandfather? He's like 115. I feel like it's like a joke I heard a lot when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I think something gets lost in the translation here. Uh, again, I feel like in the rule of threes that you introduced Izzy you brought in Izzy's kid. I feel like it's the ro- opposite direction to go to bring in now Izzy Sr. at this point. I think that you want to bring in Izzy the third. Yeah, I, I, you're making a good point. It would have to be a really good piece of casting, though, right? Mm-hmm. It couldn't be subtle. It would have to be like, ah, right. this is funny. This guy's still like much older than Jerry. And now, Keith, this guy goes on to play Larry's dad on Kirby Enthusiasm, right? Yeah, This so this guy like starts acting in old age. And, like, I think he just passed last year, like, 100, but was, like, a regular actor for years. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he has a uh, many uh, memorable moments in Kirk. Yeah. I mean, we're, like, you know, it's it definitely inspirational. Like, this guy is starting in his 80s, works till he's 100. We're, like, in our 30s, and we're basically ready to give it up. And this guy's, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah. This guy's just getting started. Okay. So. Like, I'm definitely, uh, like, past my prime. And, the, the, you know. Certainly. He's got 50 years on me. Yeah. So then uh, Izzy Sr. is going to go try to pick up the TV. Uh, Jerry, before it's happening, is like, oh, no, it's go time. And then uh, we see him throw his back out. Uh, yeah. Who would have thought that the, another guy would throw his back out? Yeah. Again, uh, I think that we, we've, like, uh, you know, got a little too wacky with the third Mandelbaum. What are you going to do? Yeah, but I understand why it's there. I think it's funny, honestly. Yeah. 
Uh, and we then see all three of the Mandelbaums uh, in a row of beds in the same room. And they're all just uh, shouting, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. Um, we find out that they've, Jerry is now to blame for ruining the business at the Magic Pan. Yeah, the Magic Pan chain, apparently, I don't know if they had five restaurants or 50, but all, all the crepes were rolled by the same one guy for, for every restaurant. Well, I don't know if it was one of the Mandelbaums at all, but it doesn't even make any sense, like, geographically, did Izzy Mandelbaum, the Lloyd Bridges Mandelbaum, did he retire from the business and then Izzy Jr. was running the business by himself? I think I think that's what it is. I think Izzy lives in Florida. Izzy Sr., maybe because he's here, lives in New York, but he's retired, obviously. He's a million. So Izzy Jr. is running the business in New York. Okay. And they need guys to roll the crepes. And so uh, Jerry ends up uh, saying, I know I have some guys that can help you out. And so uh, then they need the team. Jerry knows a lot of guys. Yeah. He knows that he knows back doctors for his Mandelbaum. He knows crepe rollers. He's got a guy for everything. And then Jerry just moves the TV uh, over for them like it's nothing. It's very funny. You think you're better than us? It was pretty funny. Back at the movie theater, uh, Peterman uh, is uh, talking about to Elaine about the clothes. He can't take his eyes off the passion, and Elaine just explodes. She can't do it anymore. Yeah, she can't pretend to like this movie. And then uh, Peterman just matter-of-factly uh, tells her that she's fired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Elaine like goes, says, I'll, I'll meet you outside. All right. So we here we have everybody at the Magic Pan restaurant. A lot of stuff going on. So Jerry and Elaine uh, and Kramer are eating at Magic Pan. Um, and we find out that Elaine needs to go to the Tunisian desert to go and uh, get some sort of a love for the English patient. Yeah, there's also a deleted scene where, like, I don't, I don't, maybe she wasn't fired because she's still there after the movie, like, 10 minutes, 10 minutes afterwards, and he wants to see it again. Mm -hmm. They're just going to, like, sit in the same theater and see it again. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe they were going to go in a different. Maybe if that's before the movie that they saw it the first time, like, are you sure they're watching it a second time in the deleted scene? Or did they get to the theater so early? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I did watch that. Um, It is funny when they're trying to unscramble Steven Spielberg. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so Kramer shows up and he says, hey, these Dominicans are really fitting in. Uh, they're rolling all of the crepes and uh, everything is uh, seemingly going well. We also see Danielle is with Neil. Uh, we see the back of his head. Did Jason Alexander stand in for Neil here? I think he did. I didn't I didn't see that written anywhere, but I assume he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Danielle says, hey, let's just eat our crepes. And then we end up seeing people uh, cutting into their crepes and end up being sprayed in the face, not unlike Newman in Jurassic Park by the uh, little dinosaur that spits. Uh, mm, we that's right. see people just being burned with like hot crepe acid. You think that's a good movie to show kids if we're not showing how natural like the kids? I've thought about showing my kids. Uh, it might be a little scary. You're yeah, your oldest it's one, scary. It's, no, no my, my oldest is three. Uh, he watches oh. Lego Jurassic Park all the time. He'd watch mm. anything with dinosaurs. Yeah, three is too young. He'll have nightmares about Newman on the toilet or whatever. Yeah, we did watch that scene in a Lego version uh, recently, but uh, I think the, the genuine article might be too much. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay. All right. So uh, the crepes are spraying. The, uh, the Dominicans are rolling them too tight. That's why you need real Cubans. That's right. Okay. Uh, in the hospital... 
George is uh, with Danielle, and uh, he has been very badly burned. You know, the, like they're only you know Danielle and Neil are at the, are at the magic pan to break up. To me, this is telling you a lesson that you should break up. You know, through text, basically. Well, what was the restaurant they went to? Primavera. Pomodoro. Pomodoro. Pomodoro's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that's where everybody goes to break up. Yeah, that's that was her first mistake, right? You go to the breakup restaurant, not Magic Pan. Yeah, and so um, we see that Neil has a king, and uh, George realizes, "I knew it. Like, I admire your skills, Mister Peanut." Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we don't see his face, so he might actually be Mister Peanut. So George is trying to uh, give Danielle the key to his apartment. She can't move in with George. Uh, she has to go to England with Neil now. Is this an English patient callback? I know there's a uh, that well, it must be right. He's a patient, and I need. There's a burn victim. Yeah, there's a burn victim in English patient. So it is. Yeah. Got it. So I think that that might have been a little lost on me uh, the first mm-hmm. the first time around. Twenty years later, for sure. Yeah. Yes. And George says, uh, "You know, you uh, you can't leave me. Marry me. I'll burn myself. I'll burn my parents." And Neil uh, brings George over to say, "I win." Yeah, which is a George thing to say. Yes. And so George ends up leaving and then uh, he sticks his head back in to uh, pull out the IV, which I do believe, according to the notes about nothing, was an ad lib by uh, uh, Jason Alexander. According to Jason Alexander, it was an ad lib. Yes. Who knows if that's Yes. Uh, We have to get our hands on the actual script to tell you that. Uh, And then meanwhile, we end up seeing Elaine uh, in the tag. I'd be interested to know if they still run this scene in syndication, Keith. I um. Yeah, it's a good question, right? Because uh, here we are at 1997. It's an insane scene. This is completely insane. It's an insane scene. And uh, I'd love to know from some of our listeners if they uh, show this tag in the scene. Because it goes out on such a high note. You could certainly end the episode on the tag. Here's Elaine. She's flying to go to Tunisia. They are going to put on the sack lunch movie. She's excited. And then the three uh, Dominicans end up, they're upset. They pull out guns and hijack the airplane. Yeah. I will say, plane hijacking, much more popular in the 90s than today. Sure. In terms of things that are, you know, depicted in comedies. Yes, for sure. Definitely. Yes. I'm saying, like, it was still, like, because it was so popular in the 70s and it still, uh, you know, happened. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen now, but it was, like, front of mind. Whereas, you know, in the last 16 years, say, there aren't a lot of, like, famous plane hijacks. Well, I feel like that it, it was maybe going on a lot in the 70s and maybe the 80s, but not a lot in the 90s, where maybe it was, like, turning a corner, where it was starting to yeah. be, like, a little bit. I like, read a great book called uh, The Skies Belong to Us, which is a, has some really crazy plane hijacking stories. I rec- recommend that book. Right, right. And then, like, if your plane got hijacked, I think also prior to 9-11, it was like, well, this is an inconvenience. It was a nuisance. Yeah, a lot of times it wasn't. Yeah, they they didn't have flying lessons. Like they were, they were taking you to some. You know, they wanted some political prisoner, or right. you know, some like, guy freed, or they wanted to go to some country that that would give them amnesty. They, they weren't. They a lot. I mean, obviously, sometimes they were trying to kill the people on board, but a lot of times it was yeah, literally you were a like, hostage. It wasn't like we're gonna yeah. you know fly this plane into a building. You know, we're taking no, no, this no. plane's not going to Miami anymore. Yeah, it was like being in a bank robbery. Something. Right, right. So, um, you know, certainly uh, more comedy uh, to be mined in 1997 in plane hijackings than post 9-11. So I, I really would be interested to know if, because I think it's hard to watch that scene and not uh, think of 
True. I mean, there's there's sort of like yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if like uh, Dominican people from the Dominican Republic had like an issue with the scene because it's not like they're stereotypical hijackers. It's I, I not can't like, imagine that the Dominican Republic uh, had an issue with it. Or Dominican. Yeah, so then if that's the case, like I don't know, I, I don't know if it was a big deal. But yeah, who knows? Okay. Uh, I just would like to know if that if they have to cut stuff anyway for these syndication episodes. I mean, I think that that seems like something that would probably yeah, I wouldn't. A lot of it wouldn't shock me if that gets cut. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, let's go ahead. Uh, oh, actually, this is interesting. I see. I'm just. I did a quick research, uh, and I see a uh, post written on the Split Sider, and, and it was um, from an article called "Looking Back at the Edits Made in TV Comedies After 9/11." And I'm just scrolling through the Simpsons episodes and a, uh, there's a friends episode, uh, married with children, but, uh, and I don't see anything about, uh, Seinfeld here. All right. Well, uh, someone will, you know, it'll get replayed in the next couple of weeks and someone will write in and let us know. Okay, great. All right, Keith, let's talk through everything from the English patient. Uh, Why don't we start with Jerry and, uh, the Mandelbaums? Okay. You know, I really love the Mandelbaums. Um, you know, yes, does it hit the same beat three times? Yep, and is it unrealistic? Yeah, but I, I think it's really funny. Um, so I give this an A. Give it an A. Uh, I'll give it a B. I know it's pretty memorable, and I think that um, you certainly remember the name, the Mandelbaum. I think a B is uh, fine. I think that uh, there was a upside for me, but yeah, I think that the third time around, I don't think they did enough of a spin on it. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Uh, what about George with uh, Danielle and Neil? I mean, I, I think that's like two thirds of a really good storyline. I, I just, you know, it's an interesting choice not to show Neil. I don't have a big problem with it, but I just, I, I, I like the end. I think it's very funny when he pulls it out. There have been like now four basically like pull a plug out of a socket in a hospital jokes on mm-hmm. Seinfeld. So maybe we've gone to that well way too many times at this point. So I give this a B plus. Yeah. Uh, I think B plus is uh, a great grade. I think that that final beat at the end, though, is very funny that he pulls the uh, plug out of the IV, even if they've done it a couple times. Um, I think it's a great episode. Ending. It is. And you don't know. He he leaves the room. So you're really not expecting it. Yeah. OK. So what about Elaine and the English patient? Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I don't know how relatable the actual movie is, but I definitely felt the same way. I remember um, even when the episode aired like, oh, yeah, that movie sucks. I would never see it. Um, so I, you know, I, is, there's no like great line in there and it's definitely a C or D story, but I give it a, the B plus here. Yeah, I think it's just a B. I think it's, uh, definitely fun, but I don't know if it's anything that's a super iconic Elaine story or with a particularly great line. So I think it's just a, you know, um, not mad at it. I'll give it a B. And then finally mm-hmm. Kramer with these Cubans. Yeah. I mean, I'll give it incomplete. I, you know, he, Kramer barely has anything to say in this episode. Mm. Uh, yeah, he is taking the Cubans around again. I, I think it's just it's fine. Um, you know, we get the payoff with the Cubans getting involved with the Mandelbaum story at the end. Uh, I mean, I think I would give it either a B or a B minus. I think that's enough there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's definitely the fourth of the storylines, but okay. Okay, Keith, let's get into your rankings for this episode. I, I think it's a top seventy-five. The question for me is, did it crack the top fifty? I'm gonna say uh, just outside the top 50 i'll say number 52 okay i actually have it a little lower than that um i have english patient at 68 i really don't love the ending um i think that Which it part? had a George really... pulling the plug no the, pull, the plug is totally fine i mean the hijacking oh, the hijacking yeah um 
it had, you know, is there one really memorable line? Yeah, I think there is. I think the Mandelbaum stuff is really memorable. Yeah. Um, but again, like, you know, we're getting a little bit more unrealistic and it's still great. I, the eighth season is, is amazing, but I don't know, uh, you know, I, I'm still going to, you know, the, the episodes that stayed grounded, I feel like we're going to give them a little more love than the episodes that maybe uh, try for something wacky. Right. And you and I have talked about this, I think, all the way going back to the limo from, is that season two or three? Three, right? Limo's three. Yeah. 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 Um. I just, you know, uh, maintain this, that gunplay is not Seinfeld. You know, when uh, when when our characters ha- are having guns, you know, pointed at them when their lives are in actual danger. I feel like that we have, uh, you know, stepped out of the universe of Seinfeld, a show about nothing. Right. And and you go with the to the movie theater a few weeks ago. So this is the third time in the last six seasons. Like there was a really I was reading. I, I really like the show Love. Um, which is on Netflix. It's not for everybody, but I like Paul Rust, so I, and I like Jillian Jacobs, so I really like it. And they said something brilliant uh, in an interview that I read, which is basically like, the show takes, the, sh- the two seasons of the show, it's only been like a month, basically. Mm-hmm. And we ha- they have to be very cognizant of like, if something huge is going to happen, then you can't have two huge things happen. Because like, this is, if something's happening, like that is going to be, oh, this is the, number one most interesting thing or most important thing that's happening to the person this year or like in the last five years, you can't have three of those a week, you know, Mm -hmm. you need to stay like, if you're going to be a realistic show, you have to stay realistic. So if there's going to be, you know, like a fist fight, then, then like that has to be like the key thing in like a string of six episodes, you you know, you have to build up to that and you can't just have like the next scene be like, you know, a murder or like a shootout. Mm -hmm. So I do think we're getting away from that a little. It's even, the show is definitely getting funnier as we go, but it's, you know, but I will give a little more points to the the realistic episode. So 68. Okay. All right. Let's get into our Seinfeld mailbag. Seinfeld at posterrecaps.com. Johnny DeSilvera says, Earl Schumann is actually three years younger than Lloyd Bridges in real life, despite playing the father in Seinfeld's uh, The English Patient. Towards the end of the episode, when George meets Neil at the hospital, according to the Seinfeld wiki, Pulling the IV bag out was ad libbed by Jason Alexander. So Johnny DeSilvera also reporting via yeah, the Seinfeld uh, but, but I, Yeah, but Jason Alexander as a source, we've learned, is pretty questionable. Okay. All right. What about Caleb from Atlanta? He, want, he wants us to rank our movie theater candies. His favorite movie theater candy is Reese's Pieces. Um, you probably know mine. Raisinets? Well, no, I do like Raisinets, but I'm a Twizzler guy all the Twizzler. way. Twizzler, okay. I do like Milk Duds. Um, what about you? What's your go-to? You're going to the... How about this? You're going to a movie theater. You're taking your older son. What are you getting for yourself? Um, well, I probably would not sit there and eat a bag of candy. Uh, like, I'll really get into the popcorn. If I was going to indulge in the candy, uh, I do like the Reese's Pieces. Uh, I, I would go with something, you know, in that sort of vein of Reese's Pieces, peanut M&M's, goober, raisinette, some sort of like chocolate covered something. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I feel like raisinettes now only exist in movie theaters. Like, where would you find one? Yeah. You know, really hard to get the temperature right. But movie theater is a good temperature for raisinettes. Interesting. Because they're going to melt in most other places. Mm. Okay. Dan the Benefactor says, do you think that George uh, would have been better off if they actually had him being consistent about having trouble picking up women? For all of George's chatter in the episode about having trouble with women, he was getting free courtside Nick tickets from his very attractive girlfriend two episodes ago, especially rewatching in order. I couldn't get behind this storyline in this episode. Yeah, I mean, the idea of a guy competing with another guy who's similar to him over a girl, 
I, I don't think that's, I, I think that that does play and it is realistic. Even if, even if the guy, the said guy, George has been dating other very attractive women, like that, the, the fact that he dated someone attractive three weeks ago and now has nothing to do with her anymore should have no impact on who he's chasing this week. So I hear what Dan's saying and they should probably like be consistent or at least acknowledge that George is on an incredible streak here, but right. Um, is it, it possible really that me. George has some sort of like uh, dating dysmorphia where he does routinely get attractive girlfriends, but in his mind, he can never like he's a loser. He can't get women to look at him or anything like that. It's very possible. Uh, what about Jeff P? So he said uh, Lloyd Bridges died almost a year to the date of this episode. Yes. And he, uh, he pointed out we already said this, but he did, Lloyd Schumann. Earl Schumann, Lloyd Bridges' uh, dad in the episode, doesn't start acting till 81. And then uh, he just passed last March 24th in 2016 after he had turned 100. Okay. Uh, Ariel writes in to say, the Magic Pan is a real restaurant chain. As a kid, I remember going to dinner at the Miracle Mile, which is an upscale shopping center in Manhasset on Long Island. They had lots of uh, fancy main entree type crepes. I just ordered the peanut butter and jelly rolled into mine. Super yum, but it definitely would have hurt if it squirted me because it was rolled too tightly. Uh, it seems like the chain still exists today, but has been reduced to mainly existing in airport food courts. Fun fact, this is the Miracle Mile Billy Joel sings about in It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. Oh, I only know the Miracle Mile song from the Cold War Kids. Yeah. Um, I had no idea Magic Pan was an actual restaurant. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah. Okay. What about Lindsay? Um, so Lindsay wants to know, you know, Elaine hates English patient. Lindsay wants to know what's our most unpopular movie opinion other than Akiva Star Wars take. Similarly, Craig from Vancouver says, are there any really popular movies that either of you act really hate like Elaine hates the English patient? So what's your hottest oh, movie take, Rob? I feel like I have them and I can't remember uh, what one is. Um, you know, I definitely go against the grain. On a lot of these things, I, I know that uh, in addition to you know you ate anything sci-fi, I feel like that you uh, uh, what, what do you say? Mad Max was the worst movie of twenty fifteen or oh, 16? I hate Mad Max is garbage, but I, that shouldn't even be a hot take. That's just the correct take. <laughs> it was nominated for best picture that year. Yeah, well, listen, you get nine, you got to throw a lot of junk in there. Yeah, um, no, I've never seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies, like those types of things. Anything that's just like seems like it's just like going to be like a um, action sequence after action sequence. Uh, you know, it's not really my cup of tea. Me neither. And I extend that to uh, superhero movies. Yeah. A superhero but movie. I, I feel like that is a different. Uh, I feel like that there's more of like a uh, like a car a main character there. Uh, I, my my I guess movie hot take I'll give you is in the last I'd say this century since 2000, there have been maybe seven funny comedies. Seven funny comedies since 2000. Maybe. It, may, it might be like three. It might be as high as seven. Okay. All right. Um, Mike C says, so last week Elaine couldn't eat at a Chinese restaurant by herself, but now she's seeing sack lunch by herself? It's a good question, right? It is a good question. And Pat in Ohio wants to know, any theories on Neil's fate after George pulled the IV? I think it was just the, like the, the pee stuff, right? I, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's dying. He didn't pull a plug on his breathing ventilation stuff, right? Yeah, it looked like maybe just like a hydration type thing. Yeah, I think he'll be okay. It was more of like, uh, I'm getting the last dig in here. Okay. Um, what about Amir? Amir says, Elaine claims that sex in a tub does not work. But Google gives Amir 10,600,000 results. 
The internet disagrees with Elaine. Now, do you give me a really Google that? Oh yeah, no question. No question. Um, hopefully, he hopefully incognito or at home and not at work. Yes. Um, I, when she says it doesn't work, I don't think she means it's physically impossible. I just think she means it's not like uh, doesn't work for her. It's not enjoyable for her. Not working for her. Yes. I also, there's different types of tubs. Like you have like the small, like old school tub that I'm sure they had an English patient because it was like an old movie. It was like really small. You can't even like fit two people in there. So I hear what she's saying. Right, right. Um, and then finally, Chester wants to write in to say, isn't this the same Earl who got mad at Kramer in the Diplomats Club? Why would he be doing business with Kramer again? I mean, why do we come back to you in the mailbag every week, Chester? <laughs> same exact question. And then also, Chester, also, what kind of clinic in England does Neil need to go to for a face burn? Yeah, I mean, they'll let literally anyone be a doctor in New York. So I, I understand why he has to go to England. Yeah. Uh, you could marry Chester and still be a doctor in New York. Right. And also, uh, George unplugs what appears to be Neil's catheter or perhaps IV fluids and acts as, as if he's killed him. No, he just like left the room. I don't think he really acted in any way. Yeah. Some of the listeners definitely uh, thought that George tried to kill him. So I, I definitely think that maybe get lost in translation, but some people definitely think that. Okay. Uh, and Chester wants to know, uh, why would Neil even need a catheter for a small face burn? I mean, small face burn. His whole body is, yeah, is, is, is body looks count. like a mummy. Yeah. Come on, Chester. <laughs> Show some empathy to a fake person for once. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, scalding hot takes coming out of the crepes. Uh, when, when's the hot take off on 32 fans? Uh, I, I, in a few weeks. We got to finish the greatest Americans bracket first okay. and then, then the hot take off. All right, Keith. So then uh, coming up next week, uh, we have the aforementioned The Nap. Yeah, the nap. George is napping under his desk. We got bomb threats with with Steinbrenner. Jerry's getting his kitchen fixed. A lot of stuff going on. Fun episode. Okay. All right. So uh, lots of fun there. Of course, uh, big props to Scott St. Pierre, who is uh, 28 episodes away now from reaching the finale of Seinfeld editing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't have it on his calendar. <laughs> and of course, thanks to Mike Moore, who writes the Seinfeld poster recap recap on posterrecaps.com. All right. Uh, so again, we get those emails in early. Keith and I are going to be recording on Monday of next week. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Keith, anything else today? Um, no, nothing else. Listen, I, it, it's it, now it's feeling real. 29 episodes to go. I feel like it's we're really in crunch time. We got to bring our A game from now on. Bringing the A game. No more B, B minus incompletes for us. All right. Uh, who got the MVP this week? Me or you? I mean, listen, that, how about that could be the hashtags? We didn't do a hashtag. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. What, do you have a, a better hashtag? No, I don't know. Rob was the Rob was the podcast MVP or Kiva was the okay, So what does it be? Rob MVP or Keeve MVP? Or That's number yeah. one Rob or number one Keeve? Uh, whatever. Any of them. And the, the, the hashtag sign is already, you don't have to do that. So that's already, so it's just one Rob or one Keeve. Yeah. Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, take care. Have a good one.